Welcome to Get Found, Get Funded, a podcast all about creating visibility, paths for growth, and opportunity for entrepreneurs. We focus on those entrepreneurs who are statistically underrepresented in the startup ecosystem. Your hosts are Zena Island, president of X Plus PR, a media relations agency, angel investor Aurelia Flores, managing member of Athena Digital Media Group, a digital marketing agency, and angel investor Christina Francis, president of Esteem Logic, an information technology consulting and training firm. In each episode, you will meet a new startup founder, hear about their company and where they are now. We then focus on one key challenge facing that entrepreneur, a challenge that is common among startups. Each episode also features a guest expert to weigh in on the challenge. Welcome to Get Found, Get Funded. Hello and welcome. This is Aurelia Flores, one of your co-hosts, and we are going to talk about market research today. In the venture backable space, and truly in any business, it is crucial to understand your market. Only once you understand your market fully can you communicate with your market and communicate with others about your market. So we're going to talk about market research and some of the questions that we have received from founders, and we're also going to give some feedback on what we've seen people talk about in the market space, meaning when we're at pitches or when we hear people discuss what they're going to be um, founding and launching, what kind of questions do we have when it comes to marketing? So the first thing that I remind people, and I think it's really good to keep in mind, is when does marketing start? When does marketing start? And marketing actually begins before a product is created, right? Because we create our companies to solve a particular problem. And so when you're solving that particular problem, that's when the marketing begins, is when you're creating the product itself, when you are coming up with the company, when you are building what you've got. So marketing starts before the product or the service is even created. And then, of course, as we go, we test our assumptions and make sure that we can quickly and effectively communicate what we believe to be true to other people in the market. That's interesting because a lot of people don't think that way. <laughs> um, being in PR, um, and this is Zeno, by the way, um, a lot, first of all, people get marketing, public relations, or media mm -hmm. mixed up. That's one, that's a whole nother show. And number two, you know, I get these last minute requests, and a lot of it, it is marketing more so than, you know, the media piece. And there's no plan built out. They just think you can just jump out there. So I will, I will love to hear from you, you being the marketing expert. Um, how do you help people to start thinking about, you know, their product prior to um, um, getting it on the market? Well, can we actually define marketing and PR since you did bring that up? Because I do think a lot of people blur the lines of what marketing is and PR mm -hmm. versus digital marketing. So do you guys want to give a definition of what you think that means today? Sure. So um, marketing is just about communicating what you have in a juicy and compelling way. That's it, right? That's what marketing is. And so when I talk about digital marketing, it's we do all that online. And we do it online because it's mm -hmm. measurable. Right. So that's great. And, and PR is the press that you pray for. I always tell people <laughs> that you pray you get press um, because you, when you pay for it, it's advertising. So when you're paying for it, that's advertising. But when you're actually getting on the phones or you're sending emails, you're pitching the press to 
print a story or um, have you on a newscast or a new or a show, that is um, that is what we call unearned media, and we pitch it, and so you don't pay for it, and that's that's what media or public relations really is. Well, you might pay a public relations firm, but you're, you're going to pay a public relations firm, that's for sure. <laughs> but you're not necessarily paying for the space to get mm -hmm. in front of folks. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that marketing is so important because really the only two ways that we make money in business is sales and innovation. That's right, it. Right. Two ways mm -hmm. you make money in business, sales and innovation. And if you're not looking for those sales, meaning you're not messaging what you've got and why it's so awesome, those sales are going to dry up. Exactly. Right? And so for startups, I think a lot of times people have this plan, oh, this is how much we're going to get in sales over this period of time. Mm -hmm. Great. How are you going to get there? Right. And how are you going to measure that? Right? So one of the things, and I know you guys have heard me say this a gazillion times, but I'm going to say it again because it's so important. When you're figuring about marketing, when you're figuring out your marketing message, I say you have to answer these four questions. I say the same four questions every single time I speak probably, and it's what problem do you solve? Who do you solve it for? Right. What are the other alternatives out there? Mm -hmm. right? Not just your competitors, but what are your other alternatives out there and how are you different or better? Okay. Mm -hmm. And if you, can, if you can answer those four questions on a really deep, specific, and granular level, your marketing messages are done for you. Yeah. And of course, you might work with a marketing company to make them more juicy and more compelling. Mm -hmm. But if you can answer those four questions, you're 90% of the way there. And then, of course, if you can answer them with a lot of granularity, right. then you can back into a one to two sentence really quick, here's what we do and here's who we do it for. If you can answer the question, who do you solve it for in detail, um, that you're in a much better position. And I think a lot of mistake that people make is that they know who they want to solve it for and they've tested to that. But then when they talk to other people, they start adding different constituents on and it really muddies their focus and it muddies how they're articulating what they are what they provide so I think that's a really important question to answer yeah I mean people have a lot of different feelings about being niched right like oh, I talked to these people I saw right. the problem for these people and um, one of the examples that I give when I'm talking to clients is you know, if you are able to talk to one really specific person about one really specific problem, other people will find you. Right. But the more you are able to speak to that one problem with a lot of depth, you're going to really connect with them. No, Aurelia, that's wrong because <laughs> I want to speak to women, men, children, <laughs> ages 18 to 65. <laughs> My product solves everything for everybody. Right. Yeah. Those are the type of things that we get and we hear, correct? Yeah. But, but I will so say true. that there are people who think that there's one audience that they're solving the problem for. But in market research, they find out that maybe there's another audience mm -hmm. that they serve better. And you, you've done this a lot just with even Facebook marketing and, yeah. and some of the uh, founders saying, well, I know this is my perfect target audience, but you may uncover a secondary audience that then increases revenue. So. Yeah, and I think when we're talking about market research, there's a lot of different ways to do it. Mm -hmm. And I know we've all seen pitches where somebody comes in and they're like, this is a $150 billion market and we're going to get 15% of it. I'm like, really? Let's, let's <laughs> push on We're on, on track that. to get 50% of this market <laughs> in six months. Uh, you know, you want to kind of push on those things a little bit. Um, but also, there's so much data out there mm -hmm. now that you can literally get by just like Googling stuff, right? Yeah. And then the other thing is, 
get it in front of a ton of people. Right. Because I know I hear a lot of startups or folks who are relatively new in their business saying things like, oh, well, I know this is a great idea because, you know, my Aunt May and everybody Mm -hmm. else told me this was a great idea. It's like, well, get it in front of several thousand people you don't know and let's see if it's really a great idea. Yeah, that customer validation is so important. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I think a lot of people are sometimes fearful of getting their idea out there because they don't want others to take their idea. And I would say go for it because if it's your idea, you know how to execute it better than anyone else and get as many people as you can early on uh, to test it out, test it with you. Yeah, and help you learn how to talk about it. Right. Mm-hmm. I want to go back to the Facebook advertising because that really does make you sit back and think about your market segment. Mm-hmm. And I know that's what you do. You, know, you, you specialize in that particular area. Um, is there any advice that you'd like to give the people? Because as they're segmenting their market to do Facebook advertising, and that's why they hire experts like yourself, to come and help them do that. Um, is there any particular advice that you have for them? Well, so we do a lot of different kinds of um, advertising and a lot of what we do, for example, on LinkedIn is actually organic, mm-hmm. but LinkedIn is a great place to start putting together an ah. avatar. So we will tell people, you know, you can go in and you can literally kind of look at, let's say, 60 to 80 profiles of people that you think are your avatar and you could start there um because remember that when we get to facebook and we're actually putting it in front of thousands of people you want to have a message that's created right so when Mm. we're doing market research you might step back a little bit and you would obviously do a lot of research on google and there are also some market reports that you can buy depending on Mm -hmm. what industry you're in um but you want to try to figure out everything you can um, about your avatar, who they are, where they go, or where they hang out, right? Because 80% or more of all sales or all buying decisions begin online, right. but they may not end online. Right. Mm-hmm. But you can find people there that are thinking about it or whatever, right? Um, and only 3% of people who are your potential clients are actually ready to buy right now. So, okay, great. So you've got to figure out who your folks are, and then you want to do your message, and you would ask, okay, what does that look like on Facebook? So you can literally then put, you can create an audience on Facebook and put an ad in front of those people and you want it to be in front of as many people as you can over as long as you can. And obviously we've done market research in a weekend or a couple weeks, um, but the longer the better. Mm -hmm. And you want to see, is that message resonating? Are people clicking through? Are they going for what you're offering? Right. Are they engaging? Are, are they, they engaging, engaging with are you? Finding you? Yeah. And are they taking those next steps? Mm-hmm. Right. So, part of marketing is really building a relationship. Yep. I was just going to say that. Yeah, because yeah, I think everybody thinks, oh, well, I'm going to do digital marketing, and the sales are just going to pour in. Right. It's like, well, you know, we used to say, I think everybody's heard this maxim that it takes seven touches mm-hmm. to get a sale in our digital world where our focus is fractured and it's so crazy people are just coming at us bombarding us with messages the statistic is now somewhere between 17 and 37 touches before people are ready to engage with your company and those have to be quality touches does that change though if someone that i know buys your product so if if you know a friend like xena goes and she says oh i i like this product does that decrease the amount of touches that are needed and, oh, for and, sure. and how does in, you know the influencer yeah. marketing piece play into that yeah I mean so one of the things that we also see is that an online review is mm-hmm. actually from a research standpoint 
as good as right. a friend saying to yep. you, I bought this, yep. right? So, From a statistical standpoint, which is incredible, right? right? When we think about reviewing and how do we collect reviews and how do we get good reviews Absolutely. and all those kinds of things. Um, but going back to the, the building that relationship, right? When we talk about kind of doing that market research, are you able to articulate the problem mm -hmm. in a way that people are resonating with, right? So part of the market research is really, you, you've already you know, answered those four questions. What problem do I solve? What do I solve it for? Whatever the other alternatives out there, how am I different or better? Mm -hmm. One of the first things that we generally do for people is help them figure out how to articulate the problem in a way that's gonna resonate with their audience. Right. Because if you can empathize with somebody's problem, they're like, Hey, wait a minute. Who's this? Mm -hmm. Who's this right. person? Right. right. Like, what? Wait. They know something about me. They're. They must be really interesting. And then you cultivate with more messages, more messages, more messages, before you say, "Come by from me," or make a you know appointment to talk to me, or whatever, because you want to build that trust. Mm -hmm. And it just takes time right. to do it. And I think the other piece of this, and you know, when we are listening to pitches, it's it always baffles me how people don't understand. Their, their market. Mm -hmm. They understand the That's problem true. that they're solving, mm -hmm. but they don't necessarily understand their competitors or how their competitors yeah. are entering the market or what their differentiators are. And I think that's critically important also to know when you're thinking about it on the consumer side, I've, the consumer has choices. And so what would narrow them in or zoom them in on your product versus some of the other products I on think the it's because I, I see it in, um, in PR um, and media that people don't think about the problem that they're solving because they're so focused or hyper-focused on their own business. And that's why you get that. And you have to you know, reel them back in and say, you know, what, what, what problem are you trying to solve? What, what message are you trying to get to your key audience? And they just don't think about it. And you're right. I've seen it in pitches as well. Mm -hmm. And uh, I know you've two judged uh, several pitches. And you've questioned, you've, you've questioned a lot of the startups who are out there pitching you know about their market research and how do they solve a problem and it's it's it, it, it's it's amazing to see that translate over to the marketing end because i have that same problem on the pr side yeah and christina i think what you said is so right that and we all i mean i'll i'll own up to it i too get yeah. so close to my own business mm -hmm. that i have to remind myself wait a minute back up right like Am I validating what I say to people? Am I validating that my messages are good? Mm -hmm. Am I doing market research every day, right. even as we go along, not just... Because it is an ongoing process. Right, like at the very beginning when you start an, um, a business. And so if we're thinking about kind of backing up, and you would hear this if you went to business school, but five forces that mm -hmm. affect all businesses, right? Mm -hmm. This is the five forces we're all working mm -hmm. against. Every single one of us that have businesses, we all have businesses, right? Not just who are your direct competitors. I mean, not just you know, what's the size of the market, what's right. going on in the market as a whole, but then who, uh, what's fighting against you for that market share, your direct competitors, your alternatives to those products and services, powerful suppliers, powerful buyers, and the new entrants to the market, mm -hmm. right? So if we think about something like an Uber, or let's think about taxis, you know, a decade ago. Mm -hmm. Right. And if you think, okay, a taxi cab company a decade ago would have thought, oh, well, my competitors are other taxi cab companies right. or maybe a car service 
alternatives might be the metro or walking or getting a ride from your friend or, or scooters or, right well now a decade ago a decade ago right now uber's having a problem with scooters <laughs> and, and then you've got those powerful suppliers that like you know maybe have huge companies Absolutely. or powerful buyers you know companies that reserve you know huge taxis mm-hmm. to you know work for a convention or whatever and then we get new entrants like an uber or a lyft and now they're the Right. you know, kind Jump of default mm-hmm. and, and on, and on it goes, right? right. So then, okay, who are your competitors and who are your powerful buyers and your powerful suppliers? So really getting that whole market picture, like you said, Christina, so, so valuable. And I just had a conversation last week with a, an entrepreneur. Um, her pitch was phenomenal, but there were two startups in the, this area that are doing the same exact thing. And on her competitor, she had the likely competitors that everyone would resonate with. And so, you know, we talked through how do you understand what's going on locally and then, you know, more broadly around the startup arena because there are, like you said, I think that new entrance to the market, especially now, there's so many startups. And to think that your idea is unique is, is probably not the best thing. And so just making sure you're staying on top of you know, other pitch competitions, listening to, um, you know, who's pitching, what they're pitching, what they're articulating, and then figuring out your niche mm-hmm. and your, your, I would say, your, your pitch. <laughs> I want to go back to the five forces. And I know you talked about the direct competitors and how important that is. Um, and then how about the powerful suppliers and powerful buyers? I mean, what do you mean by that? Actually, let's go through this for just a second mm-hmm. with um, somebody that we interviewed before, which is a periomics. Oh, yeah. Right? Because I think Great she example. was so good because she said that her biggest competition, right? So it's for, for folks who um, may not remember what a periomics did, and if you don't remember her show, go back and listen to it. But um, a periomics offers a test that will identify every known bacteria, mm-hmm. virus, parasite, and fungi in... Um, in a bodily fluid sample. Mm-hmm. It's pretty incredible, mm-hmm. right, if you think about it. And what she was telling us that was that her biggest competitor was the way we've always done things. Mm-hmm. Meaning doctors are, yeah, doctors are used to saying, oh, you know what, you've got a sore throat, let's do a, mm-hmm. a strep culture, mm-hmm. as opposed to let's figure out what all is going on in your body. Right. Now, obviously, if it looks like strep and it, you know, feels like strep and it's, you know, the strep culture comes back positive, it's obviously strep. So there may not be a reason to do those mm-hmm. broad tests every single time. And for people who've gone from doctor to doctor to doctor and don't know what's going on, gosh, there's a real good reason to do this, right? So she was saying her direct competitor was the way things have always been done. Now, mm-hmm. there's other people who are doing broad tests too. So those would be her direct competitors. And actually what she said was her biggest competitor are actually alternatives, right? Or, mm-hmm. or lag thereof. But then if we think about powerful suppliers or powerful buyers, powerful suppliers are the hospitals and the insurance companies, right? Well, let me, let me rephrase, the hospitals and the health networks and powerful buyers would be the health insurance companies. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So if she's able to get into those powerful buyers that will pay for that kind of a test, then she's gonna be able to get more market, um, market share. share. Yeah. But, but honestly- And what, stability. Yeah, but what she was looking for 
for a long time because it takes so long to get into insurance companies because it takes so long to get the credibility in the marketplace is she's like well let's go around that and find people who are going to believe and who are going to refer their their patients here and so she started with she just reached out to a bunch of alternative healthcare, um, holistic healthcare mm-hmm. practitioners, and she got immediately. I think she, I don't even remember exactly the numbers, but she sent out an email and immediately got back 25 people saying, Wait, what? You do what? Great, let's do it. I thought the other thing that she did really well was educating as she was pitching and sharing what she did and sharing really powerful stories about people who have gone through it. And a lot of these folks were kind of at their wits end. The doctors couldn't figure out what was going on with them. And through that test, they were able to identify the issue and help them get treated immediately. So I think that storytelling piece of it really helped with the education and then helped her really get those additional, not only customers, but partners and buyers. Yeah, but back to your point, Zena, like, I think that's a good example of looking at competitors, alternatives, powerful buyers, powerful suppliers, and then new entrants, you already gave a great example of that. Mm -hmm. So, you know, all, if you know all of those things, it's going to give you a good sense of what the market is like as a whole, right? So I think when, when we see pitch, when I see pitches, a lot of times what I will see is that somebody has done their market research for one piece Mm -hmm of the market, but they haven't looked at all of these pieces, Mm. right? Um, And so um, back to the aperiomics example, she, it's not that, that, that Crystal gave up on getting in front of health insurers or let's say, you know, health centers or particularly teaching hospitals and so forth because she was like oh if we could get into teaching hospitals and that would become the new standard of care Mm -hmm. right new way of thinking new mindset yeah so it wasn't that she was saying we're not going to do that Mm -hmm. she but she looked at the market as a whole okay where are we going to start and then where are we going to go over time so that she had an understanding of the the market landscape and what was reasonable in the short term and what was reasonable in the long term and she had all of those push and pulls you know, kind of in her mind as she's building her company. And I think it's a great example. And plus going to the health insurance companies as well as teaching hospitals, that would have taken so much longer. I mean, Mm -hmm. it really would have taken a longer uh, time. So Mm -hmm. I think starting where she did um, with those doctors who are into holistic medicine, I think that was a smart move on her part. Mm -hmm. And obviously it's proven to be um, that it was. Yeah, and then she went out to patients directly, Mm -hmm. right? She went out to patients directly Mm -hmm. on Facebook and was like, hey, are you sick and you don't know why? Let me tell you what we can do. And there are a lot of people out, out there Ton who of are people. in that situation. Ton of people who need that help. And I think the way you just articulated that helps to prove this point. And a lot of people think marketing is a daunting task. Like, oh my gosh, I don't know how to do it. There's so many things to mm-hmm. do. I just need to sell to my customer. And I think one thing that the story with Crystal um, really highlights is what she did was really took it and broke it into pieces. And when she needed to pivot, she pivoted. And when she needed to think a little bit differently, she did that as well. So I think marketing also allows entrepreneurs to be a little bit creative in how you're approaching your market. There's not one right way to do it. And so if you're thinking about, again, the people that you're serving, be as creative as you need to be to get to those individuals. Mm-hmm. Creative and clear, <laughs> I would say. Yeah, and, and also, I mean, that's why we tell people to niche down because you can't mm-hmm. serve everybody, men and women, 18 to 65, when you start, right? Mm-hmm. Like you can you can serve one market really, really well, right. and then you can start build credibility out. and mm-hmm. build the stories so that you can branch out exactly. Yeah, and you know, 
when we think about market research, I think part of the other thing that certainly I think about when I'm looking at pitches is have you, are your assumptions, what are your assumptions based mm -hmm. on? Right. right. Right? Like, are you making an assumption based on market size, based on market, um, you know, powerful buyers and powerful suppliers because of what you think? Yeah. Or do or, you have data to support it? Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Right. <laughs> I knew you were going there. As, as, as data geeks, we got to know. We got to know. I'll, I'll tell you, when, when I'm in pitches and people have very specific data, it always makes me think they've gone the extra mile to really, to really understand their market and mm. what they're doing and the impact of it. And I also love when people bring up data and it actually disproves an assumption. Mm -hmm. And so they actually change their model because the data doesn't lie. It's, it's a snapshot in time because things can change. But if you can use that to help articulate for, on the investor side, it really helps the investor to understand. Yeah, and if you're, even if you're not pitching, but if you're mm -hmm. sending out pitch decks, right. like, right, we want to know what your assumptions are and, and what those assumptions are based on. And one of the other things is a lot of times people will say, oh, well, I did some market research and I found people were willing to buy. And I'm like, great, how many people gave you money? Right. Right. Because it's one thing to say, mm -hmm. that sounds like a great idea. That's awesome. Fantastic. Mm -hmm. I am taking pre-orders right now. Right. Hand over your credit card, checkbook, yep. cash, whatever. Because then you find out, oh, oh, well, I, well, you know, okay, great. You're not 100% sure. Tell me what your concerns are. Mm -hmm. Because until people have actually given you money, I mean, that's your best market research, honestly. Yeah, right? It really is. <laughs> They're willing to pay, yeah. But until people have given you money, there are a lot of assumptions that people are making. And that's not that we don't do research, not just getting people to pay, right? Does the messaging work? Are we empathizing with the problem? Mm -hmm. Are does, we able to? Does the to... messaging get your customer to say yes? Yeah. Right? That's the big, big thing. But ultimately, are they willing to pay? Mm -hmm. And yes is payment. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm hearing a lot about data and statistics, and I'm one of those persons, you know, everybody knows this. <laughs> I am not a numbers girl. I'm not. I'm, I'm, so, you know, somebody like me, what do I need to do? You know, where do I need to go <laughs> to find this information and make it easy on me because I'm just not that person? So I think, so this is a, it's a great question because most people, maybe not most, a lot of people are not data geeks like Christina. Mm -hmm. <laughs> we love that stuff. Um, so a simple Google research, mm -hmm. you know, just doing some Google research and pushing on those things mm -hmm. will give people a lot of good general data, okay. right? So for example, how many teaching hospitals are there in the US? That's something you can Google, right? Mm -hmm. How many people go through the teaching hospitals in one year? Great. Um, how many people are patronizing holistic healthcare practices? Great. Great. Right? Mm -hmm. Great examples. All of those things are things that are easily findable right. on Google. Mm -hmm. Now, you might do something like how much money goes through holistic healthcare practices. And I, I don't know because I haven't done the research, but um, it might come up that uh, that's, that's paid information. It's not just easily accessible on Google. You've got to mm -hmm. pay for it. Okay, great. And then you think, do I want to pay for that? Or how can I get around that? If it's core to your business, then yeah, you should pay for that report. Mm -hmm. But I did get a question um, the other day uh, from somebody that was at a presentation that we were doing. And she said, 
yeah, but the market research that's out there is costing five to $6,000. Do I really need that market research? And um, all of us that were on the panel were like, no, no. you don't need to spend that much money. If you can't get the market research for a couple hundred bucks, you can get enough information mm -hmm. that is publicly accessible right. that you don't need that. And the other thing is you can literally pick up the phone and call people, right? I mean, you can literally pick up a local, you know. That's interesting because um, <coughs> when I was going through some business coaching and I was looking into a particular market, one of the things that she suggested to go directly to that person, you know, and conduct my own research, have questions and conduct your own research so that you'll know if there's a really a, a market out there for it. So is it, you I can go I would say you should there. always yes. start there. Exactly. That's a great yeah, place to start. You should always start with talking directly uh -huh. to people that you think are your target market mm -hmm. and ask them. Especially if you have a following on social media. I know people are don't mind doing surveys. You know, if it's a couple mm -hmm. of questions, do that and, and and really pulse the people that you're talking to and want to sell to. Um, I think a lot of folks are afraid to do that, but the message here is just do it. You mm -hmm. know, so you actually get that information. Yeah, and you know, if you reach out to 25 people that are your ideal clients or customers, most people really want to help. I mean, they really do. Like, particularly do. if you're a startup and yeah. you're like, hey, I'm testing this you know, premise and can I take 15, 20 minutes of your time? I'm going to come with 10 really good questions and, you know, get your feedback. People want to help. Yeah. And yeah. they like being part of that process. So I, have, I have two stories on that. So one is a company that I did invest in. One of the reasons that really pushed me to say yes, one of the reasons, there were a few, is that in doing her customer validation, she actually was on the street with the clipboard talking to as many people as she could and signing people up, to your point. Nice. Um, people were like, when is the service going to start? I want it now. And she actually ended up starting her service a few months earlier than expected because she had such a long wait list. And that proved... Do you know, know that's an old school tactic? <laughs> that's very old school. People don't do that anymore. And they don't, but get, they, you know, get on the street and ask, and ask the folks, you know? Exactly. And the other, actually, I did, it was on the street as well. <laughs> and they actually got me to... They did such a great pitch while I was in between meetings, walking in D.C., and normally I would say, I don't have time but they were just inviting, it was just a great personality, and they were educating me on the challenge and problem that they were solving, and I, right then and there, became a customer. So, it works, it works, it well, works. And what you're talking about is the customer journey, right? Like, mm -hmm. can I empathize with the problem? Right. Can I tell you more about the problem? Can I then tell you about the solutions mm -hmm. that are out there? And can I tell you why my solution is the best? Right. But you don't get to ask for the business right. until you take people through that customer journey. Yep. And so that's what we do in marketing, but that's also what you should do in market research, right? Yeah, and on the flip side of that, I've had people approach me where I didn't quite get the story. Um, and I would say, if people do ask you questions and you don't have the answer, do the Google search. And if you can follow up with them you may not be able to follow up with everyone, but if you can follow up with them or answer it in, a, in a, um, uh, an open forum, that also helps because then people notice that you're making changes and modifications, particularly for startups. It may not work as well for well-established companies, but as you're starting your idea, really thinking through how you answer the questions that people have, again, it's part of getting that customer to say yes and buy your product. And, and I think, too, to Dina, to your point earlier, you know, if you're talking to people as part of the process, 
you're getting that real-time feedback and it gets a lot more granular, mm-hmm. right? Because you can only do so much if you're putting things out to your social media following right. or if you're, even if you're running Facebook ads to see does this articulate the problem. When you're talking to people, there's, there's no substitute for That's human connection. True. There's just not. Always. And we forget that in the age of social media about mm-hmm. human connection. So Aurelia, so one of the things you were mentioning earlier was just around uh, reviews and feedback online. And I think, you know, um, Zine and I were doing a startup on a budget for PR, and one of the things that we talked about was making sure if you can get customers to provide feedback, whether it's Yelp or any type of online review, that really helps with decision making as people are identifying whether or not this is a product that they should buy or not. Um, and I, you know, I mentioned that even now going out to a restaurant or buying a buying something, I typically don't buy things that don't have reviews. And I didn't realize that until we actually did that um, or were preparing for that presentation is that even in my own personal consumer behavior, these are the things that matter. And I would have any entrepreneur think about how do you actually buy, procure things that you... It's the Amazon effect. Yeah. Right. Right. So right. we are so used to having reviews for everything right mm-hmm. now and we want to see plenty of reviews. We actually, our agency has review software Mm -hmm. that will basically go after every single person that comes through your doors and go after them and find out, you know, was this good or bad for you? If it was bad, talk to us. Right. Right. Like Mm -hmm. we want to hear what Mm -hmm. we did poorly so we can fix it. And if it wasn't bad, then can you review us? And here's the 10 sites you can review us on. Right. And it's so valuable. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's so valuable. And it is interesting to me that this, that the research shows that good reviews are important. The, the more you have, of course, is great, but recency is also important. Yes, absolutely. Meaning how many of us have looked on Yelp and said, oh, they haven't gotten reviews in six months? What's mm-hmm. going on with that? Right. Mm-hmm. And matter of fact, if it's more than three months, most people completely dismiss their mm-hmm. reviews. But then there's like, not only the reviews, but, and not only just thumbs up, but when people say something, mm-hmm. right, when they give you why they liked this place or whatever, particularly for local businesses or businesses yeah. that are, um, you know, trying to get in front of a local audience, reviews are so important. Absolutely. And let me add something to this because I've had people come up to me, should I buy reviews? No. no. Do no. not no. buy a review or reviews. Do not waste your money and do that because, number one, is is inauthentic. You're not, you're, you're, I mean, they're not real, uh, and so you're deceiving your audience. So that's number one. And number two, um, why would you want to do that? I mean, right. seriously, why? You want you want every person that you've touched and have used your product or service, you want them to come back and review it. Yeah, and review software is really cheap, right? Like, I mean, we, we offer review software, but there's so many review softwares out there, and there's a lot of review software that's actually embedded in let's say industry specific CRMs and so on and so forth. You can get reviews via text. I mean, whatever it is, but then like you said, number one, plaster them everywhere. Mm-hmm. Right. If you've got good reviews, if you have, cause you, and here's the other thing, right? Is if you're getting, if you're working on getting reviews, people are going to leave reviews where they're comfortable. Right. Mm-hmm. So they might leave reviews on Facebook and on Yelp and on Google and whatever. And that's great. So again, these softwares will collect those reviews and have all of those reviews and you can put them on your website. You can put them on sales pages. You can put them wherever, mm-hmm. which is great. And all of that is really inexpensive to do and so valuable because people do give reviews as much weight as a personal referral. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Which is, cr- which when I read that research, I was like, that's crazy. It is. Right? It like shows if you, told, if you said social. to me, oh, you should try this, mm-hmm. 
and I'm giving as much weight to going on and seeing reviews of people that I may not even know. And we also, I'm also careful about reviews because, you know, you always know that people can, you know, kind of rig that system too. So you mm-hmm. want to be careful with that. But it's true. That's how we live now. The Amazon effect. So we have all this data, this information. So how do we communicate that to our board members or communicate all the information and pitches and in pitches, you know, you only have so much time to pitch. So how do you communicate all the information? What is your, what are some of your suggestions? I, I normally just want to say that in Christina, I'd be really interested to hear what you have to say, but I'm normally just looking, do they understand the market landscape as a whole? Mm. Right. Mm-hmm. Can they articulate very quickly what the market landscape as a whole looks like? Can they then say, how they are going to get into that market, and can they say from a broad, high-level perspective how they're going to get into that market? So, what's the market landscape? How? What do they think they can do in that market landscape? And just a tiny bit of a how. Okay. And literally, that could be three sentences. Awesome. So we're not looking for a ton of detail. Now you go to due diligence. We're going to be looking at a lot more information. Yeah, okay customer acquisition costs, you know, how you're identifying those customers, what's the cycle time? You know, you talked about, you know, seven times over a touch or up to 37. How, do, how are they looking at that uh, and bringing customers on board? Um, I also look at the willingness of the um, founder, well, the, the one the, in understanding the immediate market but then also how are they keeping up with information? Is it through customer reviews? Is it through looking at you know, news head- headlines or things that are going on in their market? How, how are they referencing that data? Um, yeah, and, and then just how, what their hustle is like. Right. The other thing that I would say is we understand that startups often don't have money for marketing right mm-hmm. at the beginning, right? That, that is an understandable thing. So it's not that we think that they are going to have professional help, but we, I particularly, I won't speak for anybody else, I need to know that they understand that the only way they're going to grow is sales, right? Right. At the end of the day, Mm -hmm. their exit strategy is going to be completely built on sales. The best funding are your sales. (laughs) And and you're right, exactly. (laughs) Talk about non-dilutive funding, right? (laughs) But um, so as long as they understand that at some point... That number one, that they're thinking, okay, I've got to do marketing because I've got to get sales in the door. And at some point, I'm going to need to scale that up. Right. Because we certainly have seen um, startups that are like, oh, well, I'm just going to do everything myself and I'm going to do it all on social media and it's all going to like come to me and everyone's going to buy. Okay, that may happen. At some point, that's not going to be scalable. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. So even if we look at a company like Hot Hijab, which was incredible, right? They had great sales and it was viral and it just took off and they, you know, got a you know, huge amount of sales really, really quickly because there was such a desire and a need in the market for what they're selling. Great. And she was also clear at some point, I'm going to have to get really systematic about this because word of mouth and that kind of organic reach is not scalable infinitely. Right. right. And like forever. Right. Like it's not an indefinite strategy. It may work for a while. And that's great. Right. Like we want you to do everything on a on a shoestring. We're not trying to get you to burn through money that you don't need. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm, I'm going to have to absolutely look through this um, 
I should have I should have gotten this stat, but I believe this is correct. Seventy percent of all money that goes to startups is spent on Facebook and Google ads. Mm, yeah. That came out of Axios. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's the that's the number. Wow. And why is that? Because companies understand if you don't have sales, you're not growing, you're not going to get the next level. Mm-hmm. If people are spending 70% of the money that they're raising, which is expensive money mm-hmm. on marketing, 70% on Google and Facebook ads, why is that? Google and Facebook drive over 80% of the tra- total traffic on the internet. Total traffic, right? Over 80% of total traffic on the internet is driven by Google and Facebook. And now, by the way, interestingly, Amazon is starting to sneak in there. Yeah, they are. With, they are. With a lot of, mm-hmm. you know, um, bandwidth and so forth. I mean, just, you know, a larger piece of the pie. And if you know that that's where people are, then you meet them there and you're articulating the problem and why, you know, what the different alternatives are and why you're the solution and so forth. So that tells us that people are really clear, yep, you've got to do marketing, you've got to do it well. Right. And I I would encourage, I was actually trying to look that stat up for you because I just read it. So Mary Meeker just came out with uh, Internet of Things, like 355-page report. Yeah, yeah. That really walks (laughs) through some of the trends that we're seeing in mobile devices and ad space. Uh, So if you're a founder, it's a public document, I would download that. And what's the name of it again? It's the Mary Meeker Report. if you Google that, it'll come up. Okay. Um, and she's just been able to really I synthesize. Think it came out last week, last actually. Week. Okay. Yeah, I haven't had a chance to really dig in, but oh, yeah. you bet I will be. Yeah, there's talk about knowing your market. Absolutely. <laughs> I'm gonna read that. Yeah, myself. it's it's great, and it's and, and it's what's fascinating is to to your point earlier, just about the mindset change and consumer buy, buying behavior changes and how mobile device, so one mm-hmm. of the big things that came out of it is if you're developing any type of e-commerce or online, mobile first. Yes, right? mobile and, is first now. And mm-hmm. I think a lot of, um, we were actually, uh, a group of, of, investment group of mine, we were talking to a, a founder who's focusing solely on the web, and we we're trying to get her to really think through her mobile process and maybe spending more money on that up front so that she doesn't have to redo building right. a website into mobile. Um, and so, again, just knowing what the trends are could potentially save you a lot of money up front as you're looking at your technology roadmap and your customer acquisition process. Yeah. Totally agree. Yeah. Well, I know we only have a few more minutes left, so I just want to, you know, really, you've been very, very helpful um, providing your expertise and advice on this. Um, is there, are there any you know, last-minute suggestions, words, touch points, whatever that you can help us with. <laughs> so, so we've just been talking about, you know, that people do spend a lot of money on marketing, but we also know that you can't. Many, many startups cannot spend that much money on marketing when they get started, but you can get good board advisor, people that are on your board or on your board of advisors or people that are consultants that will do it for free or, you know, you get a lot of people are getting help in their accelerators and their incubators now on marketing. Um, so there's a lot of places that people can get marketing help and marketing support for free and definitely take advantage of those um, because it's key to really building and growing um, your business. And I, I think the other thing, too, is as you're looking at mark the market overall and what's out there and what's going on, it's also important to figure out how you can execute on that strategy and how you can execute on that strategy over time. because. 
certainly in the world that I live in, which is digital marketing, there are so many bells and whistles. You can get mm-hmm. you know, completely off base by just following the next shiny object. Right. And so definitely read the report that Christina was talking about and don't get too wrapped around the axle and the next shiny object. Right. Get mm-hmm. really clear about what your strategy is and how you're going to execute that strategy, not just what's the latest and greatest thing. Yeah. And I would say also identify tools that can enable you to move faster, um, whether it's Google or some other tool, uh, online tool. And there is a podcast called Marketing School. They do like seven to 10 minute snippets every day around marketing, digital marketing, online tips. And I found them to be very helpful. um, I know a few founders who actually listen to them and have made just small tweaks in what they're doing. and especially if you, you don't have enough money to pay to learn like a Facebook ads or Google, they'll walk through a few nuances that have helped a lot of entrepreneurs. That's so awesome. be, be as resourceful as possible. That's what I would say. Excellent. Well, this has been very helpful. I've learned a lot. I've learned that I need to start my market research first, maybe on LinkedIn. <laughs> <laughs> Another area that I don't use often mm-hmm. <laughs> that I need to take advantage of. Uh, learn about the report from uh, Mary Meeker. Mary Meeker. Mary mm-hmm. Meeker. And what's the name of that report again? Uh, again, if you Google Mary Meeker, it'll it'll come up. It'll come up. Yeah. And then um, Periomics, which is one of our very, very first episodes um, um, from last year. So if you want to learn a little bit more about Periomics, go to that particular episode. And then you can follow a little bit closely what Aurelia was saying, how she was mapping out uh, how to use marketing research and how she used that to help uh, Aperiomics and also working with them. Um, and also, I've just, I've just learned overall that I just really need to start embracing more data, and <laughs> which my father's been telling me that since I was a kid. <laughs> so like, it will guide you. It will show you the direction you need to go in. So I will make sure I will do that. So, ladies, thank you so much. This has been fun. And we also welcome questions. So, you know, if you are listening to this podcast and you think to yourself, hey, wait a minute, I'm not exactly sure where you're going with that or you want to learn more, just, you know, drop us a comment, find us on Facebook or on the website or whatever, on Instagram. And Yeah, we get a lot of DMs on Instagram. Let us know Mm -hmm. what your questions are and we'll pick it up and And address it in another podcast. On email, we're at getfound.getfunded at gmail.com. So if you do have any more questions or comments, feel free to email us. Thank you so much. Thank you.